ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blankers. I'm Branham. It's Joe George, assistant to the regional manager behind the glass. It is a Thursday edition of the Killer Bees. And it's a 7-1-3 version of the Killer Bees for all that celebrate. This is a huge day for me. Long time forever, Houstonian. You got here as fast as you could. Joe George got here as fast as he could. We're Houston through and through. We're celebrating 713 Day. I'm, I'm assuming that Joe has already got it all lined up, all the rejoin music, all Houston, all Houston, all 713, all the time today. Yeah. 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 Right now, Joe, Joe is finishing <laughs> typing out Houston music. Joe still Joe's still typing out our uh, our video promo of the show. You got is it, it out? No, I, no, he's still oh, typing it's not out, out yet. Yeah. Okay, yeah, but at least we're making progress. He's wearing other hats before noon. Um, Seven one three day. By the way, is just another excuse for single people to get out and drink. Restaurants and bars to make money. I like to say it. I like to say happy seven one three day. Okay. You look like John Gruden today. Okay. Yeah. It was a, I saw the white visor with the black emblem, which is Nike. I didn't realize Nike it first. Golf. I thought it was the Raider logo. No. So you look John Gruden over here. Chucky? Yeah, your hair's kind of spiked up. That guy right there, that guy right there can play there. Yeah. He's pretty, looks... good, pretty good the way he throws the football. Oh, there you go. Look at that. Look, look at, that, at guy. that. That guy right there. I like that guy. Um, We're going to open our show with Lance's take on trading Kyle Tucker. But Brian McTaggart just tweeted out, Guess who's going to be a spacer on Friday? Guess who's back. Two guys are going to be spacers Jordan's on Friday. Jordan's back. Mm-hmm. Guess who's back. And Guess Akiti. who's back. Yep. Jordan Alvarez, Brian McTaggart tweeted this eight minutes ago. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, Jose Arquiti, both scheduled to join the AAA Sugarland. It's kind of a weird way to say that. On a major league rehab assignment beginning on Friday. So Jordan Alvarez, Jose Arquiti, or spacers. Get your Jordan spacers. You know, you know where you can listen to spacer baseball. 92.5 FM. That's right. ESPN 92.5. the Cowboys. for Sugarland Spacer Baseball. Um, they said that, like, Jose Arquiti's not going to be quick to the team. Now, pitchers have 30 days before you have to end their rehab assignment. I don't think it's going to take Arquiti 30 days. But they've alluded to Arquiti needing to be ramped up. Like, he's going to have mm-hmm. to be ramped up to be a starter. He's going to take a few weeks. A couple weeks to a few weeks. Jordan's quote at the All-Star game was that, I expect to have a rehab assignment play in two to three games and then quickly get back up to or get back up to the major league baseball team. I think we see him next week. I, I think, think we, we see too. I think we see Jordan in less than a week. Coors. I think we're gonna see Jordan in Coors next week. Wow. And Joe is already giddy about that, but why wouldn't you be? I mean we we've seen him just mash baseballs in regular ballparks and I'm thinking about the the prodigious home run he hit in Toronto right after they said you know, Jordan once hit a ball up to the flight deck or whatever they called it, and then he hit another ball to the flight deck. Can you imagine in the altitude in Colorado? Yeah. Jordan Alvarez will have close to a thousand feet of home runs between this series in Colorado and next year when they play the Rockies in Mexico City. Cash it. Oh man, no yeah. doubt. Cash no it. doubt. Now it's like a, it, if he plays in Mexico City when they play the Rockies next year, the ball wood, hope you're healthy. flies. It's, there. it's it's higher than uh, in uh, than Colorado, I think, yeah. than Denver. I think the uh, they're above sea level, further than Denver, yeah. or higher than it's Denver. A, it, it really is, and ball, balls really fly out of there. But when you think about it, just even the Cubs Cardinal series 
in London, the balls were just flying out of there, too. Like, you get the Astros lineup, if they're healthy, again, knock on wood, when they play those games, it's going to be a home run fest. Jordan, when he comes off of injury, too, is a cheat code. He's really different that way, you know? He, he comes back and he's like... Yeah, it's like midseason form. He yeah. just starts mashing again right away where other guys... Even Altuve, right, when he came back this year the first time, it was like it took him, you know, a couple games to settle in, about 20-some bats to settle in. Man, Jordan, when he comes back, it's different. He's he's already barreling baseballs and going, well, I got a lot of time I got to make up for. Let's go. He's a, he's a cheat code. Here, here's my Jordan plan, and I'm just improvising this because I haven't had... I've had eight, seven minutes to think about it. He's not going to play in the Angels series. I think he's with the Spacers all weekend. I think he plays two games with the Spacers. Monday, the Astros have off. That Friday, be- Sunday. I bet you they give him Saturday night off. Friday, Sunday? Yeah. I think so, too. Friday, Sunday, the Astros are off on Monday. He meets the team in Colorado. He plays against the Rockies on Tuesday. I don't think he plays against the Rockies on Wednesday. They play a day game. And then they have a four-game series against Oakland. Maybe Oof. even play him two or four games there. He feasts in Oakland. So you play him once in the two-game Colorado series, two to maybe three times. I'm going to go with two. They ease him back uh, in Oakland against the single A's. And then you're back for a homestand, which I think he's going to be fully back. I think mm-hmm. that's that's my plan for Jordan Alvarez. Any objections? No objections. No Any objections. objections. Uh, the only objection I would have is if you want to take some more time, uh, next Friday is uh, ESPN 97.5 <laughs> night at the uh, Sugarland Space Cowboys game. You can use promo code ESPN yeah. for $9.75 tickets. It'd be cool if we played in that game, if we had to wait a little bit. Do a viewing party. I mean, a watch party. Everybody should be in with us. All of our listeners in the hive should be coming out with us, hanging out with us. I don't want to put a needle in this balloon, but Jordan's going to be facing the Tampa Bay Rays that night. Now, maybe Jose Arquini will start that game. Mm. And maybe, because Jose Altuve is a week behind Jordan Alvarez, maybe ESPN 97.5-9, it's Constellation Field in Sugar Land, maybe Jose Altuve is a spacer. On July twenty eighth, I like that. So the, why are they? They're just dropping all these like little nuggets about the schedule right now. What do you mean? Brian McTaggart just announced that for the first time in a long time. Sorry, first time, long Bronco. Time. First time, long uh, time. Astros are going to be in Wrigley next year, April twenty third to the twenty fifth. Oh, so they announced the date, and they're going to open with the Yankees next year. I don't like the April twenty third, twenty fifth. Opening with the Yankees here or there. Uh, let's. I don't think McTaggart said that'll be because that matters. That'll be that'll be uh, ESPN. That, oh, no doubt. Astros, that's game. two of the three games, Astros probably. open the season at home March 28th against the Yankees. Oh, my goodness. That's, opening that's day is going to be even pretty, bigger. Pretty, pretty big. It's going to be a tough ticket. Yankees, I don't, I don't like World the, Series rings. I don't like the Chicago trip. It's too early. We were trying to get it in the summer of the Killer Bees in that's, 2024. That's right. That's right. Like, we're not going to be able to go to Wrigley in April. We could have done it in the summer. That means the following year they come here? Yeah. Okay. We couldn't have done it. We, we could have done it in the summer. We can't do it in April. Why not? What's in April? I mean, I'll have... I guess college basketball season will be over, but yeah. I'll have college baseball. That's true. I'll have Big Twelve baseball. Hmm, that's true. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we can. Maybe we can swing it. But I really, I was really hoping for the summer at Wrigley. Summer that, that in Chicago awesome. is different. Yeah. How about those tornadoes in Chicago? Elgin, Illinois, weird. Rush. Really? Yeah, that's like right. Right. That doesn't happen, does it? No. It's, uh, no. Uh, there's. It's more frequent than like I'd like it tornado, to be. Tornado Alley is for, is OKC is yeah, what they're known they for. But there. Nebraska gets a ton of, yeah. of the tornadoes. Milwaukee, Chicago, in in the in the in the metropolitans up north of, of uh, Nebraska, normally just like massive thunderstorms. But maybe a tornado here or there. Not like they get. That's not supposed to happen in, in Illinois. I like was that. I was shocked to see a tornado in Illinois. To be completely honest, but you say it does happen. It does happen. Yeah, but like those look not fun. That's yeah. right where I grew up. That was gnarly. Tornadoes. Going completely off the rails here. 
I think tornado for me is the worst natural disaster. Yes, because you don't know it's coming. You know yeah. a hurricane's coming. And you can plan for it a bit. Now you yeah. can maybe you can go like a tsunami. Like maybe you can throw that in there. Yeah, as a but nice like wrinkle. that doesn't apply to us. Tornado. Yeah, tornado is the worst natural disaster, right? Like earthquake doesn't apply to us because like we've never lived through that. No, no. So like, but like earthquake, tornado. You don't know those things are coming. Yeah, hurricanes you have, like nowadays, like you couldn't back in the 1900s whenever, you know, terrorized Galveston. You had no idea what was coming. All right, anyways, uh, Lance Zerline had some terrorizing takes yesterday. He was on one yesterday. I watched some video. He was he, he was looking a little rough. I'm wondering if he maybe didn't get a whole lot of sleep the night before. Uh, one of his takes we're going to save for Bad Take Boulevard, uh, the Shohei take that you've probably heard of by now. Uh, he had another one where he said he would... He didn't say he would do it, but he said he would consider trading Alex Bregman. That way, they could lock up Kyle Tucker. I don't; those things aren't ex- like mutually exclusive They're from not. each other. Like <laughs> Alex Bregman is his contract runs up next year, the final year of his deal. Kyle Tucker still has two more years left. What you're paying Alex Bregman now has nothing to do with a contract extension for Kyle Tucker in the future. No, it's, it doesn't. And, and as you and I've talked about, look, not we're trying to rain on anybody's parade. No pun intended, Elgin, Illinois. But what we're trying to do here is be realistic in the fact that I, neither one of us think that Kyle Tucker, based on the fact he already passed on the Jordan money and he thinks he wants more and he probably wants a longer deal, we don't expect him to be an Astro for the long term on his next contract. Now, that's not to say it can, can't happen, but I think that you know some both sides are going to have to make some concessions. And I don't know the Astros are willing to make concessions on years, let alone you know on the, what they think they're willing to pay versus what the market's going to tell him he can make. And so it's going to be a different conversation. From the Bregman standpoint, what we've talked about all along is if he thinks he's worth Machado money or you know premier third baseman, top third baseman in the league money that we've seen thrown around lately, there's a rude awakening and a tough decision coming, mainly because he, if he expects that, he's going to have to try the market and walk away. Yeah. I don't think, like, gun to my head right now, I don't think Kyle Tucker resigns with the Houston Astros. I would uh, I would bet that Kyle Tucker will leave the Astros once his you know team control is done. The Alex Bregman side of this is pretty interesting. I wouldn't pay Alex Bregman. I'm not paying Alex Bregman. If I mean, it depends on the price, obviously. If Alex Bregman's asking for thirty million dollars a year, I shake Alex Bregman's hand. I say thank you for everything you've done. We wish you well in your future endeavors. Alex Bregman's not a thirty million dollar per year man. I I I hesitate to go over twenty million dollars. Alex Bregman in 2018 finished fifth in the MVP voting. Had a 9.26 OPS. 2019, Alex Bregman finished second in MVP voting. Probably should have won it over Mike Trout. He had an OPS over 1,000. The four years since then, and I, you know, maybe there was something strange going on in the offseason of 2019 that shook up this franchise, but Alex Bregman in the four years since has an OPS of 784. He went from 926 in 18, over 1,019. He's 784 OPS in the last four seasons. That is not a, and I understand he plays a good defense at a premium position. 784 OPS, good defense at a premium position does not equate $25, $30 million a year. No, it doesn't. And of course, they're going to talk about loyalty and what he's done and being a, you know, a centerpiece to the core, you know, golden era of Astros baseball. Well, maybe you get a little more out of that and, you know, a little bit more blood out of the turnip, so to speak. But I, I just think overall, that if he wants to stay a Houston Astro, I think that's the market. It's twenty. It's in the twenty to twenty-five range, and that's being generous if you're the Astros based on the statistics you just mentioned. Now, if he turns it up a notch in the second half, if he finds a way to keep it going next year, now maybe that conversation changes a little bit. But still, he's older, 
and you don't know how many years he has left. He's also shown a propensity for falling off from time to time or for extended periods of time that can put you in a bit of a of a quandary as a, as a baseball team overall. So when all that's factored in, if they can come to a mutual agreement on a 20 to 25 number for a couple of years, great. But if he thinks he's worth more, this is like I say, it's a Clint Capella deal. You flirt with us and say that you're worth max money. Go find me a team that's willing to offer it to you, and we'll make if it makes if you can find that, we'll talk. It still probably won't make sense for us, but I dare you. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN, the HRP listener line. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN ninety seven five. He's at Pac Man Joel. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Uh, it is seven one three day in our city for those that do celebrate. Uh, I did a little bit of a deep dive. It's what I do when the Astros aren't playing baseball. Uh, what history tells us about World Series champions and what they do at the deadline? Because everybody wants Shohei Otani. Sometimes it doesn't take the Shohei Otani for the World Series winners at the trade deadline. Bad Take Boulevard, which we've already spoiled it. Lance Erline makes the list. Probably is going to lead off our list of Bad Take Boulevard. Uh, another ESPN 97.5 host, though, does make Bad Take Boulevard at 1.30 uh, as well. But let's get into the Lance Zerline theory that he tossed around yesterday in terms of trading Kyle Tucker before, like we say, he leaves in free agency. Would you do that? Does it make sense? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that always makes sense for you, for me, for everybody is gentle Ben. I like a good drink. So do you. Vodka, gin, bourbon, all in that rotation for me, and they should be for you as well. Gentle Ben Spirits does it better than anyone else. How do they do it? Well, they're a revolutionary Perseido technology that eliminates impurities for the cleanest, smoothest spirits you'll ever taste. Purification of Gentle Ben is unrivaled. You'll love what's not in Gentle Ben. All the impurities are gone. They're washed away. Try a sip of Gentle Ben vodka, gin, straight bourbon, or the cast strength bourbon and compare it to what you drink. You'll never go back. I've been a Gentle Ben man ever since I had that first sip because you get all the flavor with none of the burn. It is smooth. It is clean. It eliminates that burn. Enjoy your drink. Don't work through your drink. No one wants to labor through their drink. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store on your way home today. Ask for it at your favorite restaurant or bar. Just head to the Gentle Ben tasting room. Or if you're going to an Astros game, soon stop by the gentle bin bar inside of minute Maid park head over to gentlebin.com to learn too more about your new favorite gentle bin period broadcasting live from the veritex community bank studios deep inside the secret b cave it's joel blank and jeremy brenham 713 day. And Jordan's back. This is a little double entendre. Did you mean for this to be a double entendre, Joe George? He's not listening to us. Never does. Did you mean for this to be a double entendre, this song? No. I didn't think so. Could have been, though. You should have played it off like it was your genius. That's a good point. It's 713 day. Jordan starting well, a rehab assignment on Friday. Yet. True, but news of Jordan is out. And there's Jordan news. <laughs> right, which is good enough to play a song for him. We're celebrating that he's going to be a spacer on Friday, especially since we are the radio home of the Sugarland Spacers. That's true. Which, by the way, yes, Joe alluded to it a second ago. Next Friday, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 night at Constellation Field, the Wheelhouse broadcasting live 3 to 7. Uh, you can join us and your fellow listeners for the Space Cowboys game. Type in promo code ESPN. Get tickets for just $9.75. Fingers crossed. Arkady's there. Altuve's there. 
Uh, gates will open at 5 p.m., first pitch at 7.05, and the first 3,000 fans will get a Lance McCullers Junior World Series replica ring. See you next Friday for ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 night at the Space Cowboy Games. Can I, can I give a Lance McCullers burn right after reading a promo for the Spacers and them giving away? Yeah. Is that, is that replica ring going to be cracked? Is it going to be busted in That's any just way? Wrong, man. That's <laughs> just wrong. No, is the answer? I mean, you could have just said no. It's not. No, it's not. I mean, you're just saying like how authentic is this thing? How much? Well, how rep- well, I was going to say if it's was it authentic, like his real ones cracked. Did he did he bust it up in the uh, celebration after uh, Breggy's barbecue in the HEB commercial? He cracks a lot of things. A lot of things. Did have Orbit wrong steal that McCullers. one too and then bang it on something? I mean, a lot of things have been wrong with Lance McCullers. Um. Lance had a lot of uh, a lot of takes yesterday when it came to the Astros. I think he was playing MLB the show. Uh, he he, I think you you told me he was been a little. He, he was done with it today. He's over it. Lance Erlin over all the talk. Oh yeah, I mean he was getting roasted on Twitter. Yeah, I was which, um I was driving to the gym and I had the and I was like, what are they talking about? And I was like, oh man, they're still talking about. And then I realized there were two takes, not one, because you know yeah. the first one that took was the Otani for uh, Javier and Jordan. Yep. And then he followed. Which started he, off as just Jordan and prospects. Like right. He talked himself into Javier. It did. And then I, and I was like, because the whole time I'm shaking my head driving going, he's not really doing this. And he has to realize he's going to get absolutely roasted for this. Yeah. And all of a sudden, at a certain point, he goes, I'm done. I'm done. I'm just done with the Tucker <laughs> thing. I don't want any more of it. I'm like, I don't think you get to decide. Yeah, he got got on Twitter. Did, did RJ do him dirty? He Lance made it seem like RJ did him dirty. Did RJ do him dirty? Is Lance going to sack RJ because of how he did him dirty? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just think, yeah, that's either a tough Poor relationship guy. going forward or RJ might have to have hell to pay. Man. Yeah, yeah I but think the he, Tucker one is interesting. I thought it seemed like the response was like 50-50. This is a take that I've had for years that I usually get criticized for this. Here, here was the – we'll play the, the egregious Lance Erline take a little bit later for Bad Take Boulevard at one thirty. But here was Lance talking about – you know, because we, we just mentioned Kyle Tucker. Is he an Astro once he's out of club control? Probably not. Um, so if that's the case, and the Astros have let Garrett Cole walk, Verlander walk, Correa walk, Springer walk, Morton walk, list goes on and on, why not just trade Kyle Tucker? Here was Lance with that take. Your minor league system is, it's fine. It's produced some good players. you got some guys who stepped in, but who are the hammers? If Kyle Tucker, if you could move Kyle Tucker before it was time and go get three legit big time prospects because remember there's a lot of there's a lot of great players who were trade pieces who were trade pieces and then they grew up to be really frankly better players than the guys they were traded for you know is there any thought that Jim Crane he hasn't done it to this point but at some point is he going to have to trade a guy like Kyle Tucker to help you know replenish uh, the next wave up so you do keep that window open because I don't think you can keep a chance. There you go. That was Lance's take. You know, before before Kyle Tucker breaks up with you, you break up with him. You trade him, recoup some prospects before he leaves you for only draft pick compensation. Would you be on board with that type of maneuver for the Houston Astros? Oh, I think that at a certain point that day might be coming. I don't think it's now. I don't think you have to rush into anything. But I think that you know, as the conversations progress and time starts running out. Not as much as, per se, the Angels and Otani, but I think that at a certain point, when you get down to brass tacks, and he says, I've got to have nine, ten years, and I've got to have a starting, you know, a, a starting end game of this many hundreds of millions of dollars, if you're still out at that point, or you're not willing to concede at all, 
then you might as well get something for him because I think, like we talked about, you can get another corner outfielder on the open market that can maybe not necessarily do everything that Tucker does, but do enough well to be a replacement, and then you can use some of the money that you're not going to spend on Tucker and that you spent for whoever you're getting, if you have any left over, to fortify some of the other spots on your team. It's done in baseball all the time. It's harder for the Astros because of this run they've been on and all the key members of the teams that have done what they've done. But as a smart baseball executive and a smart owner, you know that you're going to cut your losses and get something for them and not let them walk out the door for nothing. Would you been would you have been okay if the Astros traded George Springer when they were a World Series contender before his final year? And would you been okay if they traded Carlos Correa when they were a World Series contender before his final year? But I'm saying I'm not doing it this year, right? But I'm saying if they're you know every situation is different. If they're still on another World Series run, which do we think that they're not going to be when Kyle Tucker's done? This he's got this year and two more. I, I'm looking at that third year. If that third year, Abreu's probably fallen off, but you're still paying him. Yeah. Right, and so you have to factor in how's your pitching. You'll and, have Fromber and Javier locked up, and then who knows after that. But, and but and how's Javier Hunter pitching? Brown. I, I think that I think personally, I think the window's open. Uh, this Jordan I, Alvarez contract, I think the window's open through a Jordan Alvarez contract. No, so I, I think if you're trading Kyle Tucker before his final year, you know, two years from now, you're a World Series contender in my estimation. I think it should be open. I think that everything, but we know that this year everything didn't fall into place and it was open, right? And it's still open, thankfully, because they were able to tread water, do what they needed to do, and now they're within striking distance. That doesn't always happen. If injuries happen in bunches again or for whatever reason something happens or guys fall off or leave, then you know it's a different story. If they're a playoff contender, it's going to be hard to trade Kyle Tucker in the final year of his deal. Mm-hmm. But you're looking at what the Angels are looking at. If they know that they can't get anything for Otani, and because of all the things the, the owner wants to do versus what they've been unable to do, I think there's a damn good chance that they're going to have to trade him because they want to get something for him. So this is where it comes down to between Dana Brown and, you know, and what he can get for him, and he can weigh it, whether it's just prospects like Lance said, or you can get a replacement for him immediately plus a prospect or two. And then Jim Crane's mentality is this, I'll wait it out, I'll see, even if he walks, if I know I can get another ring out of this deal, I'm sticking with it. Mm -hmm. That's what I think it comes down their shoulders. I I fully anticipate the Astros to be a World Series contender in 2025. So you would be trading Kyle Tucker while you're a World Series contender before he leaves you for nothing. Quite frankly, I would do it. Quite frankly, I would have been doing this for George Springer. I would have been doing this for Carlos Correa. Verlander's a little different because he was a veteran that signed a short-term deal. Garrett Cole was a little bit different because you traded for him and he had two years left on his deal. Quite frankly, no one's going to like hearing this. This is how the Tampa Bay Rays conduct business. The difference is the Tampa Bay Rays are one of the smallest payrolls and markets in all of baseball. The Houston Astros are one of the biggest markets in all of baseball that always flirt with a competitive balance tax. So the Rays never let players, good players, enter free agency. As soon as a player gets a year or two removed from their free agent years, they're trading those players to replenish their farm. That's why the Tampa Bay Rays have been good for a very long time and doing it on a small payroll is because when they don't let those players leave without getting a return on its investment. The Astros have let these players leave without getting return on your investment. They've let Carlos Correa leave. You've got nothing for him. Now they've had other players that were able to take their spots. Uh, Jeremy Pena with Carlos Correa, Kyle Tucker for George Springer. But if you would have traded George Springer for three prospects, maybe two of those guys are helping you right now. If you would have traded Carlos Correa for three prospects, maybe two of those guys are helping you right now. I've always thought 
that the best way to run a Major League Baseball organization is you're building from within, like the Astros do, like the Rays do, and you're continuously having really good prospects come up every single year. But you never let those players leave for free because once they leave for free, they are no longer valuable to your team. You're not getting a return on investment for those players at all. But if you trade Carlos Correa for three prospects, now you just kind of recycle. It's a never-ending circle of just churning well, prospects after prospects around. So I would I would do this kind of stuff all the time. The Astros have not shown that they are willing to do that, although it is a new era with Dana Brown. Well, and that's the thing. There's it's twofold, right? You end up being the Pirates or, you know, the Reds until this year or teams that continuously just unload prospects because they know that they're just not willing to succumb to a big deal and a ton of money. The Nationals are in that boat, too, where they took all their veterans and just knew that they were going to lose them and just started unloading. The Nationals were weird because they, they did that, but they also locked up a couple of them, and they have been awful, like yeah. Strasburg, like Corbin. Those backfired, you know, 10 times over for them. Mm-hmm. They dumped out on Soto. You know, they weren't going to pay Rondon. You know, they, they, they've they there they've sat there over and over again and just decided, uh, you know, we're going to recycle. We're going to just, you know... And again, like the Pirates. The Pirates, every time they get somebody that's halfway decent, they end up trading him because they know that they don't want to pay them if they continue on the progression they're on. Mm -hmm. Then they keep loading up on prospects that a lot of times they don't hit on and they pick the wrong prospects. Right. They're better now as well, but they're still a long ways away from being where the Astros have been or any team that's been good for any length of time has been. So I think from the Astros' perspective, when you think about it, you're right. I think they have to think about getting rid of him and understanding, hey, on the flip side too, like in Abreu, Sometimes a guy's going to fall into your lap, whether you want him to sit down or not is a different story. But when they come to you and say, I want to play for you and I'm a free agent and I don't need 10 years or eight years. And, and, you know, and then you have to realize, hey, let's sit down and see realistically, does this make sense? Because I think that Dana Brown's a good enough, shrewd enough uh, judger of talent that I think he's going to replenish the farm system one way or the other with the drafts, with the things that he's going to do, maybe smaller moves. These big moves are going to be massive for them, and that's where the, I think Crane will end up intervening at some point, and we'll figure out what their philosophy is going to be. Because I think that you're right; they didn't do what they they didn't trade away Springer or Correa, but I think with a Kyle Tucker, since the real centerpieces are in his mind still Jordan and guy, you know Altuve, will still be here, that he might weigh it and say, "Can I get a, a, as good or a better centerpiece without having to extend that much financial and years?" I think a lot of it's going to come down to Drew Gilbert. If Drew Gilbert is, if they think he's the next guy, it's easier to let Tucker walk. And but the, walking's not the conversation. But isn't he going to play center field? We're talking about trading. Trading no, no, before like, he walks. No, I'm saying like it, of of not trading Kyle Tucker. Like okay, if Drew Gilbert pans out right away, then it's easier to say, all right, Kyle, we're we're going to keep you. We're going to push for a World Series. And if we can't resign you, you're gone, just like everyone else. If Drew Gilbert's not really good mm-hmm. and your farm system's not there, then it does make sense to make these moves. But, like, I would want the Astros to do, like, kind of what the Nationals did. It's not worked out great so far. Like, they got Mackenzie Gore and they got C.J. Abrams, two starters right away, opening day. That's what the Astros would have to trade for. I don't want some double-A, But, but to Jeremy's point, you might be walking away or blowing your chance at another World Series. I don't, see, that's not my point. I, I don't oh. think that you're blowing a chance at a World Series. Like, if the Astros didn't have Carlos Correa in his final year, do I think the Astros are not championship contenders? 
No, I still think they're championship contenders, just like they won the championship after he left. Uh, I think they're championship contenders even if they don't have George Springer. Like, we fall in love with these stars, but baseball's not about the stars. Baseball's about having a deep team. And if you're looking at long-term build, it makes more sense to trade a player away before they leave you and get a big package back. Like, we have a texture saying that don't forget about the compensation picks. It's a really good point. You do get compensation picks if your own free agents leave and sign with other teams. But the compensation pick isn't better than a trade return you would have gotten for Correa before he left, George Springer before he left, Kyle Tucker before he leaves. Yeah, they're not plug-in plays, and and they're not going to be the same caliber as what you're giving up, and and maybe not for many years, maybe not at all, as we've seen with some of the big trades the Astros made. I misunderstood what you said because when I said, look, I'd I'd trade him. I I would trade him in the last year of that deal if I knew I wasn't going to re-sign him. And and I think that from the standpoint of, I look at what Crane wanted to do a, a year or two ago with, uh, he wanted um, Marte, right? Or did he want Ozuna? Crane wanted Marte. Marte. So you're going to get a guy on the, on the market that's going to be less years, probably less, you know, significantly less overall money, though it might be a little more AAV for a short term. But you can get a guy that can fill his shoes and be a guy that can pick up where he left off. And your team is still going to be fine to your point. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Let's let's continue this because I think that it's this is a long term build, and I think it's like how you continue winning forever. Like it's not a window; it's just a window that's open for literally all time. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. The HRP listener line. Killer bees. ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five. Before we go to the break, save I'm a good friend, Doc Linville. Doc Linville gets it done on a daily basis for guys that are struggling and feeling down with no self confidence because they're losing their hair. You might be losing it in front. You might be losing it on top. You might think there's no way to get it back. You just have to shave it or get the sprays and creams and foams that mask it. You don't. You, you can get your own hair back, and he uses your own hair. And the greatest thing about it is when he gets your own hair where it needs to be, it stays and grows and gets longer and stronger. It's with you for the long haul, and you love the way you look again. It's fantastic. It's called the Neograph Procedure. And, and what he does is he takes hair from areas of your head that you're never going to lose your hair. Genetically, which I learned, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. So, therefore, he takes some of those follicles, moves them where you need them, and then suddenly they start to grow. They get stronger and longer. And because they were never going to leave you on the sides and the back, they're going to do the same thing wherever he puts them. And you see the results. And then six to nine months later, you actually see better results. And you feel great about your appearance and your self-confidence again. And it's amazing. I did the procedure after sitting down with Doc because he told me those things. And the main thing he told me that stuck out to me, 95 to 99% of the follicles that he moves stay and grow and are with you forever. That's what convinced me. That's why I did the procedure. That's why you should too. But you get a special deal that not everybody gets. You get a free consultation with Doc Linville and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks. All you got to do is go to 975hair.com, schedule an appointment, go in, ask the questions, get the answers, see if it's right for you too. I'm telling you, you'll be happy if you do it because he's the best in the business. 975hair.com, go see Doc Linville. You're back where you belong, in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. Killer bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Dre, Dre's talking in the Twitch saying attrition is finally catching up to the Astros. I think it's, it's a fair point. I think there's a lot of factors that go into like, well, why is the attrition catching up to the Astros? Why is the minor league system weak? I think there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, and I, I put it in the Twitch, tra- es- twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. Whenever you start drafting late in drafts versus early in drafts, 
you're not going to have as good a production. Would you rather be picking the top five or the bottom five? You'd rather be picking in the top five. Better chance to hit. Uh, having the pick stripped away from you by, by man fraud, even though every organization in baseball was doing what the Astros were doing. Trading prospects along the way to enhance the big league team. And then, like Lance's point with Kyle Tucker, letting your own players walk and ending any sort of return on investment that you get for those players other than compensation picks. Because if you re-sign those players, okay, well now you've had that player, he's producing some value, so you're still getting some return on his inflated contract. If you were to trade the player, then you get prospects as capital, and maybe those players turn into something, so now you're getting return on investment through other players, the players that you got in the trade package for these players. The Tampa Bay Rays are the best example of what Lance is talking about. Trading a star before he enters free agency to replenish the farm and then to continuously reload the farm and you're calling up players all the time that are really, really, really good. I think it's the way you win in Major League Baseball and the Rays have showed you that they are willing, they can win with a small payroll. I've always been fascinated, and the Astros are capable of doing this because they have money. I've always been fascinated if the Astros did what the Rays did, but then they fill their holes with free agent signings where Tampa Bay does not do. Tampa Bay is willing to you know, run out a below-average left fielder because they're young and they can't spend money. The Astros can go sign people. Like if you were to, this was your point. If you were to trade Kyle Tucker, and then let's combine Joe's points for three high-level prospects. And high-level, I mean they're they're in Triple A. They're knocking on the Major League Baseball door. They're going to help you sooner rather than later. But then let's say you go sign the best right fielder that you can on a one-year deal. Like so, you're filling Kyle Tucker's shoes in the short term with the money that you would have spent on him. But you're also looking at the future by the prospects you get in return. So I want to see once in my life and the. Astros are probably the closest to this is that you run your organization like the Rays, where you're trading players before they enter free agency, so you're always getting a return on the investment, but you also spend money to where your payroll is top five in baseball. Yeah, that's I was going to say, because otherwise it's a catch-22, because a lot of times in the Rays, like you said, have done it better than most, but teams get caught in the quandary of staying competitive, but then ending up eating a con- uh, eating the, the, the trade possibilities and then you get nothing and the guy walks and now you're significantly worse going forward and you've already tried to you know for the, the like this take this golden run of Astros baseball they've had to make moves almost every single year which helped to deplete the majority of the the top prospects within their system so to build it back up and you trade a player and you get those those prospects those aren't going to help you for the rest of the season so in, in the immediate future so then do you have the capital do you have the liquidity and the money under the cap to say I can still go get one or two free agents that make sure I don't slip, mm-hmm. that make sure that I stay. Now, sometimes it's a veteran that wants to win that says, I'm willing to take less years if you give me the money because I want a shot at a ring. Yeah. And other times you get a guy that goes, look, I've got a couple years left. I'm willing to do three, four, five as long as the money is competitive because I want to win. You're probably not doing those. You're probably not doing the three, four, five-year deals because you're— Because then you're taking away money yeah. from your chances this, to do— a, yeah. this, You're signing free agents here on short-term deals that are going to fill holes that you can't currently fill with your minor league system. The, the best example to use as a player that would fit this mold— is probably Michael Brantley before the injury. Like Michael Brantley signed two fair average annual value deals, but both of them were short term. Like that's the type of player you're going out in free agency and aggressively attacking if you were to be, you know, having this Rays Astros hybrid, you know, big 
picture view on how you're building your roster. You're, you're looking, okay, we don't have a AAA player right now that we feel comfortable is going to be good in left field. So you go out in free agency. Okay, there's this Michael Brantley fellow who's 35 years old. He still hits really well at the big league level. Let's maybe even overpay him slightly, AAV, but let's give him a two-year deal. Like that, that is the way that I would aggressively attack if you're trading a Kyle Tucker. Like you have to go out and find a right fielder that can fill his shoes for a year or two before someone in the system's really ready to take the spot right. Yeah, and two things for me is like the first thing is I think you have the right guy in charge because like let's use like some of the like you have depleted draft capital because of the the, the picks taken away. So let's go back to 2020. Mm-hmm. There's two players taken in a five round draft in the entire 2020 year that are all stars, both selected by Dana Brown and the Atlanta Braves. Bryce Elder and Spencer Strider. Those two guys taken in the fourth and fifth round. So there's great value there. Like You have someone that has shown already that he can get guys in the draft, even not even top first-round picks. He can evaluate talent in the right way. And like whatever Keith Law, that dummy writes, like it doesn't uh, matter he, that he doesn't yeah. like what the Astros did in the draft. But if you're going to trade Kyle Tucker and you want to optimize your, your return of investment, wouldn't you do that trade this offseason when he has two years left to control? Like, he is never going to have – like, his value just decreases the longer yeah. you keep him. You know you're never, ever going to trade these guys at the deadline because you're never going to be bad enough to be in position to sell. So it's going to be an offseason move. So if you're going to do it, do you do it with two years left on the deal or one year left on the deal? It's probably two. You get more. Like every day that he's on your team, he becomes a little bit cheaper and a little bit cheaper and a little bit cheaper. Right. And Corey texted that too, and it's a great question. It, probably two years removed. Now, I'm not doing it in season. There's no Just, chance I'm doing it in season and rocking a clubhouse that you have World Series aspirations for. You're making those type of moves. Those type of moves happen off in the offseason. And also whenever you have free agency right there on the horizon too. Yeah, no, no question about it. You have to look at it from that perspective because, I, I mean, for you guys listening – when you think about the conversations that the three of us have had leading up to the trade deadline, we keep saying about what the Astros, who don't have a, a loaded-up farm system, are able to do or the deals more likely to happen are those on rentals. The rentals you get the very least because of the fact it's the final year of the deal. You've let the clock run too far. Now you're just trying to salvage and scrap up something that you can say and you salvaged this guy or these two guys in exchange for letting him walk out the door for nothing. I agree with you that you're not going to let this happen in the middle of the season because if the team is rolling and there's no indication they're going to they're going to stop on the the uh, the run they've been on, that you suddenly basically throw a monkey wrench in the whole well-oiled machine and then you start having everybody start pointing fingers if someone starts to like not produce at the same level or the guys you got don't do what Tucker was doing and now there's pressure on the general manager as well. You don't want that when you've got a good thing going because as we've said, being spoiled Astros fans. You're not understanding how spoiled you are to see these runs happen year after year. Otherwise, teams are going, if we got a good team and we're rolling with a good shot this year, don't screw it up. Like I don't I don't think the Astros would things have to go so poorly to trade the deadline. Like do you think if if 2019 or sorry 2020 was a full 162 and they were as bad as they were and there wasn't expanded playoffs, do you think Click would have tried to sell Correa and Springer in 29 in 2020? I don't think Crane would let him. No, Crane wouldn't let him yeah, at so all. So it's like, I don't think they would even do it now. Like, if this season has gone way worse than it has, like, if they were yeah. 10 games back at the AL West instead of two games with all these injuries that happened, I, I still don't think they would sell. Like, I think they might do what the Cardinals might do, which is sell a couple think, pieces, but not the big guys. I think if the player forced him. I think if Tucker came in and just said, hey, look, I'm not resigning. I'm not resigning because this is what I want. 
This is what I think I'm going to get. And if you're not going to pay it to me, someone else will. And that's it. And, 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 he's, and you've tried multiple times, and he shut, shut you down and stonewalled you. At that point, you realize, okay, I'm going to cut my losses now and get a whole lot in return. 713-780-ESP. A lot of people want to weigh in on this. 713-780-3776. Get to your reaction when we return. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Most informed sports talk noon to three. It's the Killer Bees. Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. A lot of people weighing in on this this conversation we're having. Thanks to Lance. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate you doing this. Taking one for the team here. Um, Mr. Brostash says, I-, "I like this idea in theory. Just wonder what happens when your minor leaguer at set position isn't panning out." Now. You're signing veteran free agents until you're pretty confident that, that that rookie, that minor league player, is going to be really good. But there are exit plans, and there are things that can you can do that would cover up. A, let's just use right field as an example here because we're talking about trading Kyle Tucker. And let's just use Drew Gilbert since everybody knows who Drew Gilbert is. Drew Gilbert, let's just say he's your right fielder that we're talking about with this model. He, he starts off poor. He's not playing well. Here we are July 13th, and, and Drew Gilbert's not playing good. You, you really have questions about if this guy can be in your lineup if you have World Series aspirations. Well, if you have a great minor league system, guess what you can do come trade deadline? You can use that great minor league system to go out and find you a replacement right field bat for three months. Yeah, you can. And, and, and I think that you have to explore all the different ways and angles because a lot of times you have to get creative. And we've seen this with teams in this market in all sports. But when you're cap-strapped, but you know that there's a pressing decision like this coming, you have to figure out. And Daryl, look, for all the things that he had that were shortcomings or that he t- all the things he took credit for that maybe didn't work out or maybe he didn't get all the juice that uh, didn't deserve all the juice he got. He was really smart at giving you every single option. And maybe that's the analytics background. To, to do exactly what you said and be prepared for. And that's why he didn't have as much value in draft picks as other teams. And because other teams still valued him, he knew he could give up things that he really didn't care about to get what he needed to get through, whether it be three months of the season, a year and a half, things that he needed to do. And then at a different point in time when maybe he has more money or he has more assets to work with, he would again react on the fly, do what he needed to do. Yeah, you're aggressive at the deadline, and you're you're capable of doing it. Like it's one it's one concern we have right now at the Astros deadline, and why we have to, we think that they have to find some some bargain players is because the Astros don't have a good minor league system. You have a good minor league system, it opens the doors to other things. Uh, Jordan comparing the Rays to the Astros as apples and oranges. The Rays aren't even close to the Astros in postseason success. Using the strategy of keeping star players until the end has led to the greatest run in recent history. It's hard to say they are doing it wrong. I, look, I don't think that the Astros are, are necessarily doing it wrong and and this is about expanding the window widening the window look the Astros have had more success in the postseason they've won two World Series the Rays have lost two World Series the Astros have been to four World Series the Rays have been to two World Series now the Astros have a lot more payroll than the Rays do so that's a one built-in advantage for the Astros is they're willing to spend far more money 
than the Rays have. Now, the Rays have been doing it for longer, though. Like, the Rays period of excellence, if we want to call it that. Like, the Astros have been doing it. Do we want to throw in 2015? Maybe we can throw in 2015 as being the spark plug to this golden era of Houston Astros baseball. 15 to 23, what is that, nine seasons? So you're looking at nine seasons for the Astros. The Rays have been doing this since 2008. Like, so if we're talking about continued success and continuity and recycling and continuing to win and win and win, Rays have been doing it since 08. So, like, yeah, I agree I think, with you that the, the Astros have more, like, their pinnacle is higher. Their peak is higher. Yeah. But I think, I think if, the Rays, if the Rays were willing to spend money, though, I think that they have a World Series title or two. I think you're right. And I think previous to the Rays, it was the A's. It was the A's that mastered the ability to be able to kind of recycle and, and take their best players and take them almost to the end of their best years when they were, uh, that they were con- under team control and then find a way to spin them around so that, and, and turn them around for more prospects that were closer to playing that they can continue to cycle up. The problem is, is that in a market like Houston with the success the Astros have had, the goals are higher. I think that I throw Cleveland into this for a lot of years too, where Cleveland the Rays, the A's, their goals are met when they make the playoffs and they have a high seed and they look like they're com- a competitive baseball team because now whether you say they're fooling their fan base or they've done enough to keep everybody on board, they feel really good about the year they had. Now everything's cake going into the playoffs and whether they make it far or not, they really like what they've been able to do. And in that market, it's good enough. In Houston, it's not good enough anymore. And it probably never was. But the expectation is always if you have a good team, make it better. If you have a better team, make it so that you basically you look like you're the favorite and then go put all your cards on the table and we'll deal with next year, next year. Those markets don't have that luxury because they know if they lose a player or two without getting anything for them, that that could be the downfall of the entire franchise for a five maybe a five-year plan. Yeah, they, 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 they can't fill holes with money. No. Like, they, they have to fill holes through the system. But what if you had both? One zero one one saying that Springer Correa left for free is not entirely accurate. They got deep playoff runs in the final season as compensation. Do they make deep runs to the ALCS World Series without the last season with them? There's no way to know if Pena can come in and produce halfway through a season after Correa trade. I'm not saying trade Correa at the deadline. I'm saying trade Correa before the final year of his deal, at minimum, maybe two years ahead of that. Yeah, I still think the Astros would be competitive I don't without think, Springer and Correa. You know I, why I think the Astros would be competitive without Springer and Correa? Because the Astros have been competitive without Springer and Correa. But I don't think Pena at that time was ready. You're, but it's not going to be Pena. Right, You're probably signing a one-year right. free agent. And I don't, I'm trying to remember who their, for a year. who their utility guy I don't think it was. Was it Marwin probably still? Probably was still. Uh, I don't know. Because I don't think Marwin was a short, could play shortstop I think it might have been, on a daily basis. No, I agree with you. It would probably have been Diaz. Diaz, I think, was probably the utility guy then. But no, I'm in, I'm in free agency finding a, a yeah, guy yeah. for a year or two. Because like, to your finding a stopgap. You're not going to trade him in the middle of the season. If no. you're going to do something like that, you do it before the year even starts so that there isn't any kind of a shakeup in the midseason or her feelings hurt when you, you, you could ill afford to have them be hurt. So, yeah, if you're going to do those kind of moves, and I think that they were still hopeful on Springer. I really do. I think that Correa, they, they knew what was coming. I think from a Springer perspective, too, they were hopeful that it was going to be a short enough deal that they might still be able to be in it. I think they were far closer to signing Correa than Springer. Like, there's not even reports that the Astros offered Springer a contract. There's reports the Astros offered Correa a contract. I just feel like emotionally they wanted to stay in that as long as they could with Springer. I think the fans did. I don't think the Astros front office was in on Springer at all. Okay. I, I, I think that they, I think that Crane with the loyalty factor and everything else, I think that they were trying to find a way. Maybe they were trying to get creative. I think they also knew that he was kind of, he was kind of ticked off at the way his whole 
existence with the Astros went and, and how they held him back in his opinion and he didn't make the money he thought he was going to make. And they also knew that this was his last chance probably to make big money and he was going to try and cash in for as many years as he could. But I do feel like there was a loyalty factor that kept him in it longer than maybe they otherwise would. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Go out to the HRMP listener line. Rob, you're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's going on, Rob? Hey, guys. Appreciate you taking my call. I just had two quick points. Um, comparing the Astros to the Rays and A's, uh, you said that they've done it longer. However, Rays have. They, they, they have done this longer, but the Rays and A's have both had seasons, uh, multiple seasons in there in that stretch where they've been the worst team in baseball or the worst team kind of days are right now, and then they've built it back up. So the Astros doing it for nine years where their worst season, obviously the COVID year was a really weird year. They still made it to the ALCS. Mm-hmm. But 2016, they were only a couple games out of the playoffs. So a little bit different there. My other point with Trey Tucker, I, I, I don't think you do. Um, and that just may be a difference of, of strategy. I'll take, I'll take championships and then suffer the consequences later. Trey and Tucker are really hard side. I don't, I don't want to be good. The Rays have been good. Uh, the A's have been good. Neither one has a ring. So I'd rather keep them for the extra couple of years, hopefully win one, you know, best-case scenario, more than one, and then, and then let the consequences happen if, if he walks. Appreciate it, Rob, and the good points there. And I, to me, it's more of a race comparison, not an A's comparison. The A's had that window of time where they were winning a lot and doing it with a very small payroll, but did not have the sustained success like a Tampa Bay, like like an Astros. The Rays really only had one bad year since 2008. Like other than that, the Rays have been really competitive. They had a year where they won six. They went they went 68, 94. They had a year where they went 77 and 85. Other than that, they've won at least 80 games in every single year since 2008 outside of the COVID year, but the COVID year, they won the division and they went to the you know, world series as we all know. So like the Rays have done it for, for a long time, uh, the, being the worst team in baseball, it's happened once since 2008. Other than that, they've had continued success. The A's you're absolutely right about. Now, I don't think trading a Kyle Tucker eliminates you from winning championships, though. Like, if you go out and sign the best right fielder that you can on a one- to two-year deal, you can find somebody that's going to produce close, not, not to the point, but close to what a Kyle Tucker can produce for you, and then it might open up a, win- it might open up a year or two in this window. Does it, like, I don't think it prevents you from winning championships. And the Astros have proven this. The Astros won the championship last year after... Garrett Cole left you, after George Springer left you, after Carlos Correa left you. The Astros have sustained departures from star players and have won a World Series title by getting nothing in return for these players that have left you. Right, and you look at some of the moves the Rays were able to make, and and I know we're up against it, but you look at even, you know, when you've got a guy coming off a Cy Young-type season, and they knew that he wasn't in their long-term plans, and so he ends up in San Diego, but they realized that they had to move on because they couldn't stay competitive with um, who's the pitcher from that 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 won the Cy Young uh, Snell Blake Snell. I mean, you look at guys like that. You look at what the A's did. What the Astros don't want to do, what the fans never want to see, is that when you do have to dump out, whether you have to do it by a trade or you end up trying to take a risky move that you think a guy's going to want to stay, and then you lose him, then he signs somewhere else. That from Matt Olson to Chapman. To all the guys, the A's just did it too. That's what you're will, trying to avoid. You don't want even the one down year if you're the Astros fans, which is what has been something that the, of a norm that can be accepted when you're in Tampa, when you're in Oakland, when you're in markets like that. Well, they get mad. The, the fan bases don't like it, but uh, does it make you? But I think a lot of them understand winner? it too. 
Yeah, they understand their situation. Now yeah. they're leaving Oakland, so yeah, that's Vegas not might be great a there. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. A texture says, "Why don't you focus on the trade deadline? That's about to happen." Okay, let's do that. Uh, what history tells us about the most recent World Series champion and how they've handled the deadline? The real World Series champions. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.